0: I want to welcome you to our final online service, at least for the plan that we have currently. Uh, this is the final time I will be gathering this way. It's been quite a journey. Uh, we've been blessed and fortunate all along the way to, um, for the most part, have our plans go as expected and to, to be able to take steps to continue to stay connected uh, and to continue being, continue being a church family through the midst of this. Um, But our goal and our intent right now is that as of next week, we'll be gathering uh, just outside of our church in the church lawn for a couple of weeks of outdoor services. And we're so excited. We're so excited to uh, get together and and do that. I also want to invite you to be part of uh, the work day coming up um, on Saturday to kind of prepare the grounds and and to touch the place up a little bit before we're gathering together. So uh, this coming Saturday from nine to 12, uh, I encourage you to show up uh, at the church uh, and you'll get uh, more information about that in the in the coming week about uh, what you can bring and what you can expect to do uh, if you're able to to show up next Saturday. Well, today we launch into um, a series on on first corinthians today is trinity sunday which is a a significant moment at the end of the season of easter we have pentecost sunday and then trinity sunday which starts uh, us in what's called common time the journey from uh... pentecost sunday and trinity sunday through the end of the church calendar year uh... which ends with christ the king sunday uh... the sunday before advent starts um, in in preparation for christmas time Uh, but i'm excited i'm excited to journey through first corinthians this way Um, i haven't preached through a book like this before but we're going to take a chapter uh, per week first corinthians has 16 chapters so this is going to be a fairly long series of messages as we journey through uh, corinthians together first corinthians together um, but I really think it's helpful to see this letter in its entirety, to have a general sense of, of what's happening and what's going on uh, as, we, as we move through. It's, it's helpful to have uh, even a, a sense of a timeline. The, uh, we need to understand and know that Paul uh, journeyed to the church in Corinth there uh, and, and set up a church. Uh, it's recorded in, in the book of Acts, I believe it's chapter uh, 18, But the church was having some issues and Paul's in this mode of of corresponding with his churches and trying to stay in touch, um, even while distance <laughs> separates him from them. I don't know if that sounds familiar at all to to you in this in this time, but but his pastoral heart was heavy for these people. It was hurting and he wanted to see uh, improvement and he wanted to see lives changed uh, as people continued to follow Christ. Um, three things really ring out uh, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his first letter that we have recorded to the Corinthians. He really gives um, some shape, first of all, to his eschatology, to his view of of the end times, uh, the second coming of Christ. For Paul, it is an an already and a not yet type of eschatology, where uh, the the coming kingdom of God is is arriving and has arrived and yet isn't fully uh, isn't fully realized yet the second theological theme that kind of comes out of this letter um, is this if if the kingdom of God is now then Paul is committed to encouraging the people uh, to to follow an uh, an ethical uh, Arc, to, to follow, uh, to, to become ethical people. Paul's convinced that this eschatology, eschatology shapes uh, who we become in our lives as we walk and as we worship God. We don't wait for someday to honor God, but that it starts now. Uh, but most prominently in this letter, we get to see Paul's view of the church and what the church is and what the church can become. His pastoral heart for these people who, who are really struggling uh, and, and have, some, have some things that need to to improve, it, it comes, comes into view. Um, one commentator, Gordon Fee, says this, perhaps the single greatest theological contribution of 1 Corinthians to the Christian faith is Paul's understanding of the nature of the church, especially in its local expression. There's more teaching on the church here than in any of Paul's letters. Corinth, Corinth was set at, at this crossroads, this, a crossroads of cultures, a crossroads of, of trade routes, of, of economic status and prosperity. Uh, it had uh, the well-to-do's and the not so well-to-do's. It had the haves and the have-nots. It had people entering with new ideas and new um, philosophies every day. Um, set uh, on, on uh, this narrow passageway which opened up into this uh, large um, peninsula of land in the southern part of what's now modern-day Greece. Um, Corinth was situated right on that narrow strip, so there were people constantly going through. Uh, and, and as you read through as you read through the book, and I encourage you to try to take about an hour of time and just sit down and read the 16 chapters uh, of First Corinthians sometime this week, if you have a chance. Um, but the church began to, to become a mirror of the city, uh, a mirror of all the groups and a mirror of all the, that was going on uh, in the city of Corinth. And Paul invites the Corinthian church to live a different way. So this morning I invite you to open up your, your Bibles or point your devices to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll be reading from verses 18 through 30 this morning from the Common English Bible. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are being destroyed, but it is the power of God for those of us who are being saved. It is written in scripture, "I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and I will reject the intelligence of the intelligent. Where are the wise? Where are the legal experts? Where are today's debaters? Hasn't God made the wisdom of the world foolish? In God's wisdom, he determined that the world wouldn't come to know him through its wisdom. Instead, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of preaching. Jews ask for signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, which is a scandal to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, God, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. This is, because the, this is because the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Look at your situation when you were called, brothers and sisters. By ordinary human standards, not many were wise. Not many were powerful. Not many were from the upper class. But God chose what the world considers foolish to shame the wise. God chose what the world considers weak to shame the strong. And God chose what the world considers low low class and low life, what is considered to be nothing, to reduce what is considered to be something to nothing. So no human... uh, So no human being can brag in God's presence. It is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus. He became wisdom from God for us. That means that he made us righteous and holy and he delivered us. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. And we say thanks be to God. Uh, I told, told told a joke about five months ago. It was the last Sunday of 2019, and I asked why people who wore who wore glasses were excited for Wednesday. Uh, the answer was, of course, it was the first time that they they, they will have gotten to see 2020. Right? Um, I don't know if you remember that. It was a while ago. Um, <laughs> I'd been I'd been here at the church for a month. My family had been here ten days, uh, and we got to be in church together that Sunday morning. Um, not not many people back in those days had heard of coronavirus, COVID-19, school-age kids were getting ready to go back to school. Um, and can I just ask, what <laughs> what in the world happened to 2020? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Have you had a, a favorite 2020 meme? Have you seen these? <laughs> it's like, uh, my plan posted over on the left-hand side, and there's this nice picture, uh, person looking nice. Um, all dressed up, and then <laughs> that was, that's under my plan. And then 2020 side of the picture, it's disaster, <laughs> something on fire blowing up, or someone in their pajamas with their hair, all askew. Uh, you name it, there, there's, there's one that I've seen um, <laughs> someone hunched over and squinting through their sunglasses, uh, and the caption reads this, me looking, out, me looking outside to see what chapter of Revelation we'll be doing today uh twenty twenty has been has been hard uh even even this week this week has been very tough preparing my thoughts for today as I share a message with you from first corinthians has been extremely difficult for me I'll, I'll just be honest um, and and as crazy and as unexpected as twenty twenty has been I think Paul is kind of saying this about, about God as he, as he sets up his point. He's pointing out the fact that at least on the outside, at least from initial look, from initial glance, it looks like God, God got it all wrong. God messed up somewhere along the journey. You don't start something significant on a cross, you, you, that's not how you begin a revolution. That's not how how you start something that is significant. There isn't much wisdom in that. In that crosses are are meant for endings. Crosses are 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 usually the final chapter. Crosses don't make any sense as beginnings, especially for the world familiar with the cross as. As a tool of execution, but we have to rem- remember what what we said about Corinth. Uh, it was at this crossroads uh, of humanity, a crossroads of of this civilized world it, it sat like I said, on this narrow patch of of land that connected this large peninsula, which covers now about one third of the the area of of greece today the the southern portion of the, the nation of Greece. Uh, th- these, these people were more sophisticated than, than crosses, uh, more, more refined. Uh, they didn't like, perhaps, some of the, this imagery. The, these people uh, were, were struggling, and, and Paul is, is fighting this infusion of these Greek, uh, Hellenistic ideas that were, were creeping into the church, you see, the, the Greek culture wanted, wanted smarts, it wanted wisdom, it wanted philosophy and wanted to talk about uh, and, and offer great wisdom to people. And this was the, the common discourse. This was the nature of this town. And, and the church of, of Corinth had come to start to mirror the city. And Paul says, no, no. No, this isn't. This isn't how the church works. He quotes uh, Isaiah 29. If you look in your footnotes, uh, in the italicized part there, or, or some of them have an indent, indentation around the quote, comes from Isaiah 29. It says, "The wisdom wisdom of the wise is perishing. It, it's going away. We cannot rely on on the wisdom of the wise. Wisdom doesn't take us." to God. In fact, Paul says that the preachers do. Um, Paul was talking about himself. Paul was talking about those that, that carry the message. Um, and Paul's pretty passionate. I, I wonder what like, it would be like to hear the preaching of Paul. Uh, <laughs> you're stuck with me. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, but, but Paul is right. We, we preach a crucified Christ. We preach the foolishness of a crucified Lord and Savior. Come, come follow this guy nailed to a tree. Come follow this man who was executed by his own people under the authority of an occupying force. It's crazy. For Jews, it was easier to follow signs. They, they wanted signs, they wanted some indication uh, especially those that hearken back to the, the Old Testament texts, the, the, the scriptures they were used to. For Greeks, they were looking for the wise, the learned, the knowledgeable, the philosophers. But it all falls short. Paul says this, God's foolishness is wiser than the wisest man. God's weakness is stronger than the strength of man's armies. And here we find the paradox that leads us to Christ. Uh, as I was reading through Gordon Fee's um, commentary on this section, um, the first part was, was called God's Folly, a Crucified Messiah, this first section of, of Scripture. The second part is God's Folly, the, the Corinthian believers. That's what he, he labels this second section. Paul starts breaking down the, the Corinthian church. Take a look at yourselves. Paul says, <laughs> "Look, you're not wise, you're not powerful, you aren't the elite of society, and 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 actually we we're going to get we're going to see evidence of of this as we we go along. There there was diversity in the church in Corinth. There was some some folks. It says most of you aren't the well-to-do, but they had some that that were pretty well off, uh, and, and it It starts to cause some troubles as as we read down through. Perhaps you've already had a chance to read through 1 Corinthians recently. Um, There's different social classes and it causes some conflict within the Corinthian church. Different status in society. But the gospel doesn't co-opt those with status to do its work. Praise the Lord. The gospel doesn't co-opt those with status to do its work. It doesn't say, let's find the people who are already known. Let's find the wisest people. Let's find the strongest people. Those with the most influence. The gospel takes root in the heart of all men and women. Called to love God and called to follow him. Paul makes the case that it's the low class, it's the humble, it's the downtrodden, it's the folks that the world considers nothing. That's who God uses. That's who God moves through. That's who God captures their heart and transforms them and sets them loose. But all this transformation in us and all this transformation that comes through us and into our homes and into our community, and spreads out to the world around us. We don't get to claim that. That that's not of us, that that's not our accomplishment to brag about. That's not ours, we're nothing. And the closing verse of this passage we read, it says, it is because of God that we are in christ jesus and jesus has become our wisdom but in that reality where christ is our wisdom wisdom god has made us righteous god has made and is making us holy and god has and god is delivering us saving us and that is the hope which we cling that is the hope of this trinity sunday that god has has given us christ and christ has become our wisdom and in and through the holy spirit we now are the righteous the holy and the delivered ones of christ I have to tell you, I'm excited to, to take our time going through this letter to the Corinthians together. I think it, it, it's, it marries well with our theme of this year of becoming one body, of, of journeying together through these days. It's going to be so good. Challenging. It's going to challenge us. I hope it challenges you, but it'll be good. Uh, we don't we don't have time to hit every verse uh taking one chapter per week. I have to acknowledge i, I skipped over some uh critical stuff, some big stuff uh, and and the church began uh, the the Church of Corinth began to mirror the city of corinth and and around it these factions had formed in the church and Paul addresses some of that in the in the earlier- cha- earlier verses of this chapter, I was tempted to camp out there why? Uh, the reason is I uh, I'm not super old. <laughs> my my kids might say otherwise. Uh, I'm not super old, but in my memory, I've never felt like our country is trying, it has tried to divide us up and label us like is happening right now in these days. And there's so many sides to so many issues right now. The, the camp of stay safe or the camp of, hey, let's reopen and get back to business. The, the support the protest or support the police. The, the believe the media or, or believe the other media. Blue or red or black or white or left or right. In some ways, America has has become a, a little Corinth. <laughs> In a lot of ways, there's these, these factions that form. And I think Paul saw it trickle into the church in Corinth, and it was part of the motivation for him writing this letter. And in some ways, I, I see the American church doing the same thing. We as Christ followers don't play this game. We as Christ followers are called to a a, a different identity, a different reality in our lives. Our foundational identity is something so much stronger than any of these labels. Our, Our core identity stems from Christ. And these labels fall away. We certainly can have opinions and we don't have to agree on those opinions, and yet our core identity and who we are in Christ stays consistent. Verse 30 says this, it is because of God that we are in Christ Jesus, and Jesus has become our wisdom. But in that reality, God has made us righteous. God has made us and is and is making us holy. God has and is redeemed and redeeming and delivering us. And that is the hope to which we cling today. Would you pray with me? Oh God, thank you for today. Thank you for the chance to to dive into your word. And thank you for the reality that you come to change us, that you come to use the foolish. That you used to come, you come to use the week. Lord, this week has not been easy. This week has been laden with difficult moments for us. And today we just exalt you and worship you today, for you are good. But I pray on this Trinity Sunday that we would understand that you, God, have cast our identity in Christ and and through the Holy Spirit you now transform us and make us into your likeness. Thank you, God, for being with us and thank you for this journey as we travel through 1 Corinthians together. I pray that you would challenge us. I pray that you would make us More like your Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would move in us and through us and transform us each day. Transform us each day, I pray. We love you and we worship you today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Go in the love of Christ.